Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Many of us, I think many of us in here are aware of the name Marie Kondo. Do you remember that name? Uh, she had her show Tidying Up that was on Netflix, had written a book, and it was all about tidying up your stuff, right? You, you, you may not remember the name, you not, may not remember the show, but you may remember someone referencing that she would invite you to, to take clothes and to pick them up and to ask yourself the question, does this spark joy in my life, right? And the answer was no, then you would toss it out, right? You would give it away, right? We, we know for men, right, it's not does this spark joy, it's does it smell, right? And that's for us, that's good enough, right? And so I just saw this week in the New York Times, Marie Kondo is now taking her next step in helping people to tidy up. And it's not just their clothing. She is now inviting people to tidy up their lives, all right, to tidy up their lives. And so in a sense, she's become this life coach of helping invest into people, not just to clean up their closet, but to clean up their life. And for many people, this is very, very intriguing and interesting. Why? Because she is inviting us to bring order into our life where so often, day after day, it just feels like disorder. Is anybody with me, right? You just trying to get through the day. You just trying to get through the week. In fact, I talked with a parent just this week who said, my kids will come and ask me a question about what we're doing in the next couple days. And they'll say, just let me get through tonight. All right. Like life just seems so often to be out of order. But here's the thing. We truly do value order in our life. Order is important in all kinds of places in our life, whether it's in our personal life, whether it's in traffic laws, whether it's in our gathered time that we have here together. There is a purpose and there is value to order. And today, as we wrap up chapter 14, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul is going to wrap up this entire section that he's been speaking about the gathered church, about when you come together. And he's going to speak to the reality of the necessity of order in the gathered church. All right. And today, it's going to help us, I think, walk out of here with uh, an understanding of a little bit of why we do what we do as the gathered church and for Paul to show us how we get to that place. All right. So I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to begin in verse 26. We're going to go through the end of the chapter. The apostle Paul says this, what then brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in another tongue, there are to be only two or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should remain or should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this... He will be ignored. 
So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in other tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today. We recognize, even in reading this passage, it's a difficult text. Lord, we feel the responsibility to love you well today with all that we have, including our minds. So help us, God, to to desire to think deeply about who you are and to think deeply about who we are to be and how we're to function as your people. And at the same time, God, our desire is to do so with great humility of saying, Spirit of God, we need you to help us. And so, Father, we just ask that in this time that, Spirit of God, you would speak to us, that we would listen, that we would consider what what this text means for our lives. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. As you're having a seat, some of you are going, ha, 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 this is about to be fun. I don't know if fun's the right word for it, but here's the reality. Some of you walked in today, maybe you're a first-time guest, maybe you haven't been here in a while, and you're thinking, what in the world did I just get into? What did I just read what does this guy have to say about this? Well, let me, let me just set one thing straight. Over a year ago, some of the pastors on our staff were praying and talking about where God might be taking us in our preaching, and we felt God leading us to 1 Corinthians. And in doing so, we settled on 1 Corinthians and knew, yes, that's where we think. And from the very beginning, we knew this text was coming, and we knew this day was coming. And we have tried to be so faithful over the last 25, 30-something weeks, whatever it's been, to preach through this book. So I want you to understand that as we come here today, this was not me thinking, boy, what would be a fun sermon to preach before Thanksgiving? But this is the reality that when you preach through a book of the Bible, you deal with texts in the Bible that you otherwise probably wouldn't go to, to, to preach. And for many preachers, I think would intentionally avoid preaching this passage because of the challenge that comes with it. So hear me today. I'm not saying that to boast of myself. I want you to hear today the reason we're preaching this passage is because it's what comes next. And so today we are, with our best understanding, going to, I'm going to try to help you understand what Paul's speaking of here and to understand what it means for us today. Our takeaway today from this message is this, that submission in worship brings order builds up the body and glorifies the Lord. Submission in worship brings order, builds up the body, and glorifies the Lord. And here's the great news for us today. I only have one point, all right? So for some of you that are headed out of town today for Thanksgiving, the good news is I only have one point. The bad news is there's three subpoints that go underneath it, all right? But I want to, again, I want to help us to understand what Paul's speaking of. So you see here in verse 26, he begins by saying, what then, brothers and sisters? So again, we hear Paul's heart for these people by referring to them as his brothers and sisters, even though he said some hard things. But he asked the question, what then? This is the moment, again, as I said, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, have all had to do with the gathered body of Christ. And now he is coming to this place of tying a bow on this entire conversation. And what we see in this passage is that Paul is attempting to structure the gathered worship service in such a way that it doesn't limit the freedom of the spirit, but it accentuates the purpose of the meeting, which we know he's going to say here is to build up the body of Christ and it's for the gospel to go forward into uh, the lives of those who may not know him. Now, as we look at this section as a whole, I want you to notice two sentences that I think give us good understanding of this section and book in for us this conversation that he's having. And it's where really our main point comes from. Uh, our, our main point today is simply this, orderly worship builds up the body. 
right? Orderly worship builds up the body. So you've heard that word order. We've spoken of two today. We're going to speak, obviously, a lot more about it. But that phrase builds up. All right, if you were with us last week, you know we talked about tongues and prophecy and how Paul had given instruction there that uninterpreted tongues in the gathered church didn't bring any value. Why? Because people couldn't understand. But that prophecy, that it brought greater value because people could understand. And when people could understand, they were built up. And so over and over again, he was talking about being built up. And so here we're going to see this same idea of building up here. So orderly worship builds up the body. We see here the first sentence I want you to catch is the end of verse 26. He says this, everything is to be done for building up. So it lets us know he hasn't moved on to a new conversation. This isn't a new thought. These are not just a couple things he needs to mention before he wraps up. He's still thinking in that same direction of the importance of building up the people of God when the people of God come together in gathered weekly worship. All right, so everything is to be done for building up. But now look with me in verse 40. We're going to see very, very similar words. But everything is to be done, look what he says, decently and in order. So you see kind of a book in here. Everything is to be done for building up. Everything is to be done decently and in order. Right? Paul is making a connection here that this idea of building up, as much as we talked last week about the use of the gifts, he's saying here it's not just about the specific gift that's used, but it's how those gifts are being used as a whole with other gifts in the gathered time together. If you remember last week, we talked about one of the illustrations he used was a musical instrument. He says, listen, if distinct notes are not made, there is a, no value to it. You don't know what song is being played, even though an instrument is being played. There has to be distinct notes. And it's almost as if today he's going from not just talking about one instrument, but now he's talking about all the instruments and the orchestra. That if there's not order to all the distinct notes that are being played, he's going to say it won't build up. And so what we find in this text is that Paul's especially concerned that worship reflects I need you to think through this phrase with me, that worship reflects the ordered nature of God. And so what we're seeing today, what we're going to read about today, again, is not just Paul's preference, but it is rooted in something deeper. And I think that is the ordered nature of God and how God brings order to everything. So if ordered worship builds up the body, and he says here, everything is to be done in order and everything is to be, I'm sorry, everything is to be done to build up and everything is to be done decently in order. How do we accomplish that? Now, we could spend here all day coming up with lists of how we make sure that when we gather together, that we do things decently in order so that we're edifying or building up the church. But what we're going to find in this text is Paul is going to speak to three specific instances. Three specific instances that he is aware of that are happening in Corinth that he needs to give instruction to to help, to help or to make sure that they're facilitating orderly worship in the gathered body. All right, And it is going to center around the word submission. Now, when we hear that word, there's a lot of things that can come to our mind. But I want you to remember, Paul's going to give instruction in, in Ephesians that we are to submit to one another. So it's a call for all of us to live in submission to one another in one sense or the other, all right? So when you hear that word, I don't want you to hear that and be, you know, kind of taken back. I just want you to go with me as Paul's going to show why submission is important in these three specific areas. Let's look at the first one. Submission regarding the gift of tongues. 
We're going to hit these first two pretty quick here, but submission regarding the gift of tongues. 27 and 28. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two or at the most three each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. So we see Paul again, kind of referencing back to what we talked about last week. Listen, uninterpreted tongues, they don't bring any value. They're not building up the church. He says, but, and here's where I want you to see the submission in this gift of tongues. He's saying, if that is going to be expressed in the gathered worship time, he says, two, no more than three are to be done. So this is not a thing where the gathered body shows up and just everybody starts speaking in tongues. In fact, he mentioned that last week, saying you do that, the lost person is going to show up and say, y'all are crazy. Like y'all are nuts in what you're doing here. But even in the gathered body, when he's given instruction, he's saying, listen, two, no more than three. So there is a submission there. There's a submission there, I would say, to one another. In the sense that not everybody comes and gets to do it, but just recognizing, hey, when we gather together, two, no more than three are going to do this. I do think it's important to note here, again, as we talked last week about, I think, some misunderstanding of the gift of tongues and how it's expressed in, 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 in different denominations and different places. Um, one of the things I think we can see from this is to understand that this use of tongues is not uncontrollable. Some people have an understanding with the gift of tongues that, that the Spirit of God just fills me in such a way that there are these utterances that come out that I cannot control. It is, it is being overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. But I think the instruction that Paul gives here it would, would, would go against that. I think Paul would, is showing us here that there is, there is an element of control in this use of the tongues. But, but we see here there is, a, there is a submission, I believe, to others regarding this gift. And let me just say regarding this gift for us, do I still think that, that the gift of tongues is, is of use today? That's a big question. And I would even say there's been times where I've felt different ways on this issue. I would say I'm in a place today that I have a hard time saying what the Holy Spirit can do and can't do. Are you with me? I, I, I get real nervous when I start saying the Spirit of God cannot or does not do this anymore. In fact, if you look at the end of chapter 14, uh, you see then in verse 39, he says, don't forbid the speaking in tongues. But at the same time, I'll tell you that I do believe that that may be available today, but I think if that's going to take place, it's going to happen more in a frontier setting where we don't have the full counsel of God's word given to his people. And if it is done, it's going to be done in an orderly way, as scripture tells us here, that it is given and there is an interpreter that it takes place at that moment. We don't practice it here in our gathered settings because of order. All right? So submission regarding the gift of tongues. Second one is this, submission regarding the gift of prophecy. Look at me in verse 29 through 32. He says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, again, if you were with us last week, you may remember this, hopefully you remember this, that prophecy was the person who would receive a word from the Lord, and they would speak that word, but they would speak it in a way, several things. One, that it was tethered to God's word. Secondly, uh, that it was for the upbuilding, the edification, the encouragement, or the comfort of God's people. And, and then thirdly, I would say that when, when prophecy is given, well, as you see here, that it is given in order. Right? It is to be given in order. So, so we see here that he says... Um, 
What are we looking for? Here we go. Verse 20, 29, right? Again, only two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. Now, again, that last part, others should evaluate, is going to be important for us as we move to the next part of our text. But I want you to remember that. Others should evaluate. And he says here, and this is interesting. i got to tell you, this is just fascinating to me. And I don't have a full answer for it. And maybe you do and tell me and I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. All right? But he says here that when, when the prophecy is going on, when it happens, the person that is prophesying first, if someone else begins to prophesy in our culture, what would we say? You need to wait your turn, right? Isn't that, isn't that how we would say, hey, someone is speaking right now. You need to wait your turn. But Paul says, no, if there is someone who's prophesying in this moment of the gathered church and someone else has a word, the first person should what? Should stop. And so again, you're seeing this submission to one another that is taking place in the church. Why? For the building up of the church. We see it there in verse 31, right? So that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Michael, you're talking about these people standing up and prophesying or giving a word from the Lord. Um, but that's not what we do here, right? There's never been a Sunday where I'm up here preaching and someone stands up and says, I have a word from the Lord. That hasn't happened. And there's a reason that that hasn't happened. Part of that is us wanting to um, provide order and what we're doing in these services. But, but part of that, too, is the nature of what we do compared to what Paul is writing to here in Corinth. And in the first century, at this moment, for them to have church together, it didn't look like this. It looked like a small group of believers meeting in a home. Meeting in a home into which everyone who came into the gathered time together knew each other. For the most part, they would have known each other and have great familiarity with one another. So for us to facilitate in, in a room like this would look like an open mic session. And let me just tell you, from all my years of working with students, this is no offense to you students, but the reality is when you put an open mic in front of a large group of people, it usually doesn't go well. Are you with me on that? Have you ever been in a setting where you have prayed the prayer, dear Jesus, will you please turn off the mic in your sovereign ability? Please, this is awkward. This is uncomfortable, right? And so listen, the way that we facilitate worship here is we're probably not going to provide an open mic where just anyone could come that we wouldn't have a clue what they would say. And so listen, if someone has a word from the Lord, the way we would facilitate that, I believe, would be for someone to share that during a week with one of our pastors and say, I think the, word is, the Lord has given me this word for our people. And we would, as it tells us here, to evaluate that and potentially bring that to our people. We want to we be clear with what Scripture teaches us, but we want to do it in a way that brings order. Now let's talk about the third one, the third submission we hear, see here. So submission regarding tongues, submission regarding prophecy, finally submission regarding headship. Submission regarding headship. It begins in verse 33. Actually, there's some debate there at the second part of verse 33, if that should go with what was above or what follows. We're going to include in what follows the second part of there of verse 33. He says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law says. Now, again, challenging passage. And there are people that have tried to deal with this passage in different ways. Some have tried to work around it. Some have tried to ignore it um, and not deal with it. But, but as I said, when we preach through a book of the Bible, we're going to deal with it. And some have even considered that these verses at 33 through 35, uh, that these are actually were not original to Paul. 
This was a later insertion into the text that someone had potentially written it into the margin or just wanted to include it or felt like this was a thing that they needed to say, that it wasn't true to Paul. Some believe that Paul, uh, here it, it is from Paul, but Paul is quoting or speaking to the position that the church in Corinth had. If you've been with us in this journey, you know time uh, throughout the letter, Paul has taken these moments to, to speak to what they believe or what they're doing, and then he corrects it. So they say, well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying what, what they're practicing, and he's going to give some clarity on that issue. The third option is that Paul said it for instruction, and it has to be interpreted. To summarize these verses, Mark Taylor, scholar, says this, Paul either prohibited women from all forms of speech in the assembly, or he prohibited a certain kind of speech as indicated by the context, either tongues, prophecy, participation in the weighing of prophecy, or asking questions in a socially unacceptable manner. And this is again a moment for us as we want to be good, good readers of the Bible and understanders of the Bible. We have to have humility, especially in texts like this, to say there's a lot of things we just have to say we don't know. Because the truth is, Paul, I believe, firmly understands and knows his intent of why he's saying this. And I think there's a great argument to be made that the church in Corinth, they fully understand the situation and they fully understand what it is that Paul is speaking to here. But here's the bad news. We don't. We don't know of the specific situation. We have a hard time truly grasping Paul's intent of dealing with this situation that was happening in Corinth. And so we have to approach this text with humility and to say, listen, we're trying our very, very best. But the moment we say we 100% have this figured out, we're in a dangerous place when it comes to difficult texts like this. So let's talk here for a second about what potentially could Paul be talking about and what does it mean for us today? Several options here. If we believe that this is from Paul, that is to be understood and interpreted for us, and I, and I do, uh, the first one is simply this, that women were unallowed to speak, period. Men, do not say amen right now. It will not go well for you. <laughs> simply he said it. Women are to remain silent. And I'm not going to spend any time on there because we understand how foolish that would be. Another option here is simply that women were being disruptive in Corinth in the gathered worship time, either through their, their chatting with one another or their excessive questioning that they, that they were asking. And so Paul here may be thinking about all the things that are coming into this gathered group of believers in a home with the prophecy and the singing and the tongue speaking and the, and the tongue interpreters. And then you have this group of ladies that were there in Corinth that maybe they had stepped out of the room and now they're back in the room and they're asking all these questions. You're saying, listen, ladies, you just need to be silent. I think there's a potential there that that's supported by the fact that he gives them instruction to ask the questions at home of their husband. Another possibility here, and this really involves the cultural aspect that we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, of the culture that existed in that day with, when it came to, to head coverings. Um, but simply that the women, that the situation is that, that there were women who were cross-examining their husbands or other men, asking embarrassing questions of them and, and uh, questioning the value of prophecies that were given in the gathered church. And so um, Paul's trying to address that. But I want us to consider here really the last one. And I would say this is where, with all humility, where I land in trying to understand this passage best. And let me say, before I dig into it, when we hear a phrase like, women should remain silent in the church, a phrase like that, whether it's in the church or just even joking about women should be silent, that phrase has been so abused that I think it affects how we come to see this passage. 
I think our initial reaction is to tense up and to lean back and to think, oh, Paul, how could you? But when we look, and we're going to see this in a minute, Paul's heart and understanding for the value that women brought to the church and to the kingdom, there is no mistaking that. And so Paul here is not trying to push down women. I think he's trying to give clarity, again, to bring order to the gathered time. And my best understanding, my best humble understanding of what Paul is talking about here in submission is submission to headship. And that the women here were forbidden from interpreting tongues or sitting in judgment over prophecy. All right, so they were forbidden from interpreting tongues or sitting in judgment over prophecy. Why, why would I, why would scholars lean in this direction? Well, several reasons. Number one, we understand prophecy and tongues has been the content of this entire chapter, hasn't it? That's what he's been talking about all through chapter 14 is tongues and prophecy. And so it would make sense in the context of all that conversation that he's having that he's still thinking in that vein. But we don't, we don't stop there. All right. Now, we do believe that the speaking in question that he's thinking about, um, the speaking in question, it denotes this activity of weighing the words of the prophets or potentially interpreting tongues, especially by asking these probing questions about the person who's speaking about their theology or their lifestyle in public. So they're not just asking questions, they're asking questions with a motive here. And I think the issue is, go with me here, all right, go with me. I think the issue is, is that for Paul, again, he's thinking about order. And he's thinking order not just about how things are going to go in the worship service, but he's thinking about order when it comes to this issue of headship and how men and women are to relate and the expression of authority in the relationship between a husband and wife and authority in the relationship in the church. And so by these ladies interpreting tongues or by sitting in judgment over prophecy, they were expressing authority over their husband and the men of the church. And this expression of authority over men, hear this, was a disorder of God's design for biblical headship. Now let me explain this to you. Let me, let's dig into this just briefly. Why do I feel like that this is an issue of order and disorder, not just of what was happening in the gathered time, but in the issue of the relationship of husband and wife and in the church. Look at me in verse 34, the end of verse 34. He says there that they are to submit themselves, and then he includes this phrase, as the law also says, as the law also says. They are to submit as the law also says. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, there is no direct reference to this in the Old Testament, which is implied, right, of the Old Testament by the use of law. could actually be the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But there is another place in the New Testament where Paul is speaking to this issue, and he is going to root that He is going to build it on a foundation of the law of the Old Testament, more specifically in creation. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he's going to say there that women are not to teach or have authority over a man. He says, um, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. So in 1 Timothy 2... Same issue, same instruction, rooting it in creation. Here, he's going to give the instruction, and he's going to say, as the law says. So he takes us back to creation. Paul here is thinking, I believe, about God's created order of headship, which is in the husband-wife relationship in the church. 
We talked about this again back in chapter 11, but we're reminded here again that the position of headship, listen, the position of headship in the home and in the church is not based on what their ancient Near East cultural context was or patriarchy or even our culture today. It is based on God's design that man would have leadership in the home and in the church. I think Tom Schreiner helps us in summarizing how we see that in the creation narrative. Genesis chapter 2, we see that man was created first. We see in chapter 2 that woman was created as man's helper. We see that the instruction about not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was given to the man. We see that Adam was more responsible for the sin uh, than Eve since God approached him first after they had sinned and disobeyed God. So there are numerous things that we see in creation of God's design for order and how he brought it about. Now here's what we know to be true. God could have created woman first, couldn't he? He's God, he can do what he wants. He, he could have created, in fact, he could have created man and woman at the exact same time. But he chose not to. This means that for men and leadership that they possess in the home and in the church is not one to boast in and it is definitely not one to abuse, but is a call to steward with great humility and responsibility that reflects the heart and the character and the tenderness of God. And so that leadership and authority that expressed in the church is through the role of pastor elder, which we believe 1 Timothy chapter 3 is reserved for men only. And that leadership is expressed in a variety of ways, but one of the clearest is the proclamation of the word to the gathered congregation and preaching, which is what I'm doing right now. And so in our best understanding of the word and desire to submit our understanding and our will and actions to God, that for this gathered body in accordance to God's word, men will serve as pastors and men will preach the word. Now, with that said, does that mean that if you're a lady here today that you have any less inherent value? Absolutely not. Does this mean that women don't have a significant role to play in the church? Absolutely not. As I told you when we were looking at 1 Corinthians 12, that submission to leadership doesn't imply a lessening of value. In chapter 12, we see that beautiful chain that, that Paul puts together. But in there, he speaks of how Jesus himself submits to the Father. We wouldn't say that Jesus has any less value because he's submitting to the Father. I've said before, and it's a great opportunity to say it again, that at First West, we want to equip and empower the women to leverage their gifts and experiences and talents and time to be all that God created them to be within the clear roles that Scripture provides. Hear me, ladies. We need you. Men, can we say amen to that? Amen. Ladies, we want you. You bring incredible value to our body. You bring incredible value in helping us accomplish the mission of God. The Apostle Paul no doubt understood this. You look at Romans chapter 16, and he's giving thanks for people in his life and people that have served him. And almost half the people that he mentions in Romans chapter 16 are ladies. But we also see the value that he sees in what they're doing. In, in, in chapter 11, well, again, when we're, he was talking about head coverings, he speaks here of the women who were praying and prophesying in the gathered assembly. And so hear me today, ladies, you have a meaningful role in the life of our church and you are going to be actively involved in the elements of what we do. That's why for us, we have ladies who help lead in worship. We have ladies who read scripture. We have ladies who give testimony, right? We, we think there is a place for the voice of ladies to be had. But we think scripture has given us clarity in how that is to function. The challenge of this text is in chapter 14, we see the call from Paul to remain silent. And in chapter 11, we see the call for them to pray 
and prophesy. It is something, it's a tension point that's been hotly debated for centuries, and it will be until Jesus comes again. Now hear me, I know that is a lot today. And again, if you're a first-time guest, you're thinking, what in the world did I get into? But send me today, you hear this, and you go, nope, Michael, not buying it. You're a chauvinist. This is patriarchal baloney. And you need to get into the 21st century. And listen, I want to be someone who understands the times in which we live, but I am not going to be a person who allows my culture to dictate uh, what I believe over Scripture. And while you may feel that that this is archaic and out of line with the heart of God and how the church should function in the 21st century. And even though our culture may feel that, and even though there are liberal-leaning churches that may feel that way, the reality is the issue is not with me. The issue is with God's Word. And again, our role and responsibility is always to submit our understanding to God's Word and not force God's Word to submit to our wishes or to our culture. And again, we don't know the specific issue that was happening there, but Look at what Paul says in verse 36 through 38. He asks a sarcastic, a sarcastic question here. He says, or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come from you only? He's saying here, you don't, you don't get to choose what has authority and what is right. He goes on to say, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. And it can be real easy, and the abuse of this verse can be real easy to target towards what he said towards women, but it's towards all three of these things that he's calling for submission. He's saying in regards to these things, in regards to the importance of order in the body, he says, I'm not coming to you as a prophet and saying that the Lord might be saying this, and you have the ability to weigh that or to judge that, to evaluate that. He says, no, I'm coming to you and saying this from the role of an apostle, of saying, when I say it, it is thus saith the Lord. This is the Lord's command. Regardless of this, the intent behind 33 through 35, I think Mark Taylor summarizes it well. Paul's concern is for the integrity of all relationships for the good of the church to the glory of God. So when we look at this text, I think what we see with certainty is that orderly worship builds up the body. We want to be orderly in how we function as a church in our weekly gathered time here. We want to make sure that what we're doing is most effective to accomplish several things. Number one, ultimately to bring glory to God. We want this gathering time to be a blessing to God. When we gather together and giving him worship, that it brings glory to him because he's rightly worthy of it. Secondly, we want to do things in an orderly manner because we want you, if you're a believer, to come in here and to walk out of here experiencing the presence of God in your life, but to walk out of here built up with a better understanding of who God is, a better understanding of who you are in him, a better understanding of what it looks like for you to live out the Christian life. We also do things in an orderly manner because as we talked about last week, that every week we're going to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, we want to do things in an orderly manner so that we can most clearly communicate the life-changing message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on a cross. We don't want to do anything that takes away from that. And it happens through submission. It happens through a willingness to consider the desires of others. There's a a role to play there in submission in worship. And again, maybe you're here today and you think, man, this is, 
It's a weird thing to be preaching on, about order in the church service. Again, when you walk through a book of the Bible, you don't get to choose, right? You pick what's next. But here's what I want you to consider, that his call for order here, as I said at the very beginning, is rooted in God's nature. And I don't know if you've ever considered this, but when you look even at the creation account, what you see is God bringing order from chaos. It's what God does. It's what God did, did at creation. It's what God has done throughout history. And let me be very, very clear with you. It's what God's done in my life. Because the truth is, is when I've chosen to live life my way, when I decide that I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to live the way I want to live and pursue my desires and to treat people the way I want to treat them, to spend my money the way I want to spend it, and to do everything the way I think I want to do it, you know what it brings in my life? Disorder. And some of you here today, if you had a, 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 as honest as you could possibly be with yourself to evaluate your life, what you would say is this, there is absolute disorder in my life. There's disorder in my relationships. There's disorder in my job. There's disorder because of my addiction. That, that, that life just seems completely out of control. And again, God is a God of order. And so when the Bible says that, that our sin separates us from God, but that God loves you and that he demonstrated that love by sending Jesus to die for your sin and that he was buried, meaning he was fully dead. And then the third day he rose from the grave, meaning that, that his sacrifice was sufficient and it pleased the Father that it was enough. The Bible says that when we respond to that truth by faith, when we bring our sin to him and ask him to come into our life and forgive us of that sin, then all of a sudden, all that disorder begins to fall into place. It means that sin is forgiven. It is wiped away. It means going through life, trying to find purpose and trying to just jump at the next thing, hoping that will bring joy and meaning and all those things. And all that, God brings it again and says, listen, I have a purpose for your life. You don't have to go chasing it. You don't have to go find it and end up at all these, all these broken places. No, I've brought order to your life. I've brought purpose to your life. Follow after me. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads with me today. Maybe you're here today in your life right now, you would say is defined by disorder. You've been trying to do it your own way and it's brought you to a place where you'd say, Michael, my life feels completely out of control. And hear me today, as important as it is for us to consider having order in our gathered time together as the body of Christ, what I want you to hear more than that is that today God can bring order from disorder. It says in the Old Testament that he is the one that can bring beauty from ashes. And today is maybe you sit there and what you feel like are the ashes of your life. This doesn't have to be the end of your story. And right now in this moment, the stillness of this moment, that you can turn your heart to God and ask God to come in and to save you, to save you from your sin, to save you from yourself. Tell him in this moment that you believe in what Jesus did for you and his death, burial, and resurrection, and that you are ready to follow him, to put your life into his hands and to live for him the very best that you know how. Just tell him right now in your heart. Maybe today, this, if you're a believer in here, this text has been another reminder for you of, 
the call for selfless sacrifice and submission in our life among our brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, as we strive to do all things for the glory of his name, to building one another up, that the Spirit of God would just be encouraging you today to, to consider what it looks like for you to submit in selflessness to God's people for the building up of his church. Lord, today we come to you. Lord, I pray for your grace and what's just been delivered. Lord, if there is anything that is untrue that is not of you, I'm asking that for our good, for your glory, God, would you just wipe it from our minds? And Lord, would we be people who who trust you enough that we're willing to submit our lives in obedience to you. Lord, we know you tell us that if we love you, we'll obey you. And that obedience is just submission of our will to yours. So Lord, today for those that are here that need to take that step of bringing order to their life out of the disorder by placing their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray right now in this moment, God, that they would just express their heart to you in prayer. And Lord, for all of us, that we would have a desire in every facet of our life, in every facet of our church, whether it's what happens in this gathered time or outside this gathered time, in every facet of our church, that we would desire to bring you glory and to build one another up. God, thank you for the preaching of your word today. May you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318 322 5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.